0: Brian Winhurst and the Hoop Collective is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA23. New users only, terms apply, cancel anytime. Hello and welcome to Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Wednesday evening. Joining me from New York City is Tim Bonta.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: And joining us from Dallas, Texas, where I think you're getting ready to fly to Denver, Van McMahon.
2: Howdy, partners.
0: And our special guest for our yes. finals for you know, Game 1 podcast, joining us from Sacramento, from his backyard in Sacramento, <laughs> reigning NBA coach of mm. the year, Sacramento Kings head coach, Mike Brown.
3: What's up, everybody?
0: Hello, Mike. How are you?
3: Good. How you doing, B? You doing all right?
0: Hey man, I'll, I've been home for two days after 18 days on the road. So (laughs) just now, just now getting acclimated. We have Um, not
2: gotten a windy sleep update, but we do have a travel update. That's right. um, More importantly, we're fired up. You're here. This is awesome.
0: Yeah. I remember your first finals. You've been to many finals as uh, an assistant. I remember your first finals as a head coach. What were you doing on the eve of your first finals coaching game? Do you remember?
3: I, 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 what I do remember is we were so excited as a team. I'll, I'll never forget. we get off the bus and we're about to stretch in San Antonio. And I think it was Mike Bansias was walking around with a camcorder recording a stretch. <laughs> and and I was just like, Oh, well, I don't know if I can say that, but I was like, Oh, crap, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, we're, we're, we're so excited to be here where we are recording our guys stretching. So I go over to Mike or whoever it was. I said, I said, what are you doing? He, he goes, well, the players wanted me to document, uh, you know, this, this whole thing. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, we might be, we might be in trouble. Well, nowadays,
0: nowadays, LeBron would have his whole film crew in there. He wouldn't exactly.
3: Count on <laughs> hey, this is this is how much I changed. I mean, you knew me from back in the day, Brian. I, we have we have like two or three people from our group that follow us around to every single practice, every single shoot around there, and all our team meetings, our coaches' meetings, pregame, post-game, with freaking cameras and all this. <laughs> and I got used to it. I got used to it. I'm like, I can't believe I let this. I, Hey, it is what it is, but we got cameras in there now. It's a, Mike, it's a
2: Twitter and Instagram world. You got to feed the fan base.
0: You're hundred
3: percent correct. Well, here's and what I know. We're feeding them.
0: <laughs> when I met you, when you would, if you lost a game, 89 to 88, you would, I, we'd go and say, Hey Mike, what happened? How come we lost? And you'd say we should have given up 87. Yes. And now <laughs> I watch the Sacramento Kings play. And it's like full speed. Guys are leaving, are leaving skin marks going up and down the court. <laughs> You're like, well, we only scored 130 tonight. Like we were a little off. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. What,
2: what? What? What happened? Well, we should have scored 137. <laughs>
0: if I just showed 2006 Mike Brown tape of you coaching <laughs> in 2023, you wouldn't have would have passed out on the floor.
3: Um, it, but it, it, I wouldn't believe it. It just shows the way the game changes.
0: So you actually, in 2005, when you get to the Cavs, hired this fresh-faced, hot-tempered, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was full of vinegar back then. Yes. Uh, assistant coach, Mike, hey, he, true or false, he went by Mike back then. Did he not go by Mike back then?
3: I, when I heard, because I, I didn't actually see it, but when I heard the story, I was like, what? I don't think <laughs> I I don't think I've ever called him Michael one time in, 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 <laughs> in my life. Uh, but <laughs> Thank you. you, know, you know, be fine. I'm actually a little scared to call him Michael. I, I thought about doing it. I said, you know, when I see him, I'm going to call him Mike. When I see him, i will call him Mike and see what happens. You know, see <laughs> if we get the company <laughs> in and there.
0: <laughs> Mike, I feel the exact same way. I, I want to joke with him, but <clears throat> sometimes you can't joke with him. He, he's a very, very intense man, but he's good natured when he's in a good mood, but he's, he's a very intense man. So since you've known him for so long, yeah. what do you think about your former protege leading this team to the finals starting uh, you know, on Thursday?
3: I, I tell you what, man, he, he's, a, he's a great coach. He, he works his tail off. Uh, he knows exactly what he wants to do uh, every second of the day with his group, with whoever's in front of him, with himself you know the preparation is second to none and uh he's got a tremendous feel he's you know he's been around the game a long time starting with his dad growing up you know he played at a, a high level he, he's coached uh you know he coached in college with some great coaches he coached uh in the pros with some great coaches and great organizations been around a long time i he he will have his team prepared you know for sure there's no doubt in my mind uh you, you know the, the the one thing that will be interesting is we all know that Miami has a has a will about them that probably no other team has and I don't know if you can prepare for that (laughs) you know um and and in my opinion uh that would be one advantage that Miami may have at the end of the day I don't know who's going to win the series I just hope it's a, a, a a great playoff series or a final series but Miami's will in my opinion, is is unmatched. And that's why they're sitting in the NBA finals right now as they seed in the East. Is there is there something, Mike?
1: Obviously, you've now been to the finals a bunch of times as a coach. Yeah. Um, is, <clears throat> is there something to the fact that Denver hasn't has a bunch of guys who haven't, other than like you know, KCP, I guess and Jeff Green have been there once. Mm-hmm. Everybody else hasn't been there. Is there something to be said for being on that stage for the first time as opposed to Miami with Eric, who's coached now in a bunch of finals games and you know, Jimmy's obviously been there, and, and that whole group
3: basically was a couple of years ago. Yeah, you know, obviously being there a, a, a handful of times, or however many times Miami has, especially with Spo, I, I think you know that there is a little bit of advantage to that, you know, and and uh, you'll tell really on you'll tell uh, really early on uh, as to whether or not that's going to uh, come into play. You, you know, it, it usually happens right away, and and the series is over. Uh, rather quickly whether it's you know four or five games if that comes into play uh you know mike the, the way he's been coaching his team at least from the outside looking in and the, the way he's given that group confidence you know the way he talks at least to the media if he talks that way to his team then those guys expect to be there not only do they expect to be there they expect to win and that can overcome a lot of your inexperience in situations like this so uh, it, it, it'll be an interesting deal, uh, this finals, just some of the uh, the, the mental uh, components behind it that uh, won't really go uh, – won't, won't really be seen by a lot of people.
2: You know, something else that can overcome experience is the ability to give the ball to a two-time MVP, a guy who easily could have mm-hmm. won his third MVP this year, and, and yeah. let him go to work. When you're preparing to play Joker <sighs> – what are you trying to take away from him? How, like, how can you make this guy who's flinging up all kinds of off balance shots, bowling his way to the rim, arguably the best passer in the league? How can you try to make him
3: uncomfortable? No, that's a great question. So when we played now, they're a different team because they had, you know, the injuries to Jamal and I think Porter, uh, my Porter was out too. We played him when I was in, in Golden State two years ago on our way to the to, to the finals one of the things we felt as a staff we we, we said hey let him sc- not let him score make him work to score but we weren't going to send a double team if he got 50 he got 50. <clears throat> what he can't do and what we felt his his team feeds off of is if he gets 26 and 10 or 32 and 12 and when mm. I talk about 10 and 12 I'm talking about assists not rebounds because right. then going rebound so if you do that, not only are you allowing your, you know their guy to get his and feel good about getting his, but everybody else is feeling good about it too, and that gives them an added advantage because now they're connected. And so we felt, you know, let, let him score because if he scores and we can kind of limit everybody else, uh, then you may have a chance. But you don't have a chance if he scores – and he's getting everybody involved because now they go from, in my opinion, they're already a, a really good team, but they go to a phenomenal team once that happens. So you can't stop them. So you take something else away. And, and, you know, the reality of it is we our our last game here at Sacramento against Golden State. I felt we could have overcome Steph's 50 or 50, whatever, 55, whatever he had. <laughs> if we wouldn't have given up 18 offensive rebounds and we wouldn't have missed double-digit free throws. If we, you know, take care of the, it, the 18 offensive rebounds, I think, led to 20-something second-chance mm. points, yeah. and then you miss double-digit free throws, those two things you can't, uh, you can't make up for. But Steph getting 50 and everybody else kind of getting what they got, in my opinion, we could have had a better chance of winning if we took care of those two things.
0: Yeah, it's. it's I don't know what you do about Jokic. His, his efficiency is so crazy. Yeah. I think if you just make him from outrageously, ridiculously efficient to just good efficiency, you might have a win. Because right. I, I don't know what you – he's. you can't seem to affect him. He shoots 63% on average.
3: But he, he's going to score. But now, is he going to score plus help everybody else or plus make the game easier for everybody else? Because when that happens, in my that's when you have, you have very little chance.
0: So Miami plays a ton of zone, probably most in the league. And it was funny. When the Celtics were down at half uh, in Game 7 the other day, Temps and I were there, there were people in the stands screaming, get the ball in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Get the ball, to, you know, they were putting their eighth grade uh, zone offense of principles. Yeah, we know. Get the ball to the middle. We got it. Boston missed a bunch of shots. Obviously, the zone, if you pass the ball through it, you're going to create open shots. And if you miss them, you miss them. Spo is just over the years gone more and more zone. Like it's just he keeps leaning on it. Why does it work? Why does it work? I mean, there was a reason why he didn't play it in the NBA for decades. Why is it working?
3: Yeah, it, you know the the first thing is is true. I, it, if you're able to consistently get the ball to the middle of the floor uh, with a guy that can make plays, especially, you'll have a chance to. You should have a chance to beat it. And you know, watching the game, now I didn't I didn't watch it close, uh, but watching the game as a fan, I, I recall I, I recall um, uh, Tatum catching it once in the I think in the second half and he shot a shot that was open, and he, and he shot it quickly. He rushed it, and he missed the shot badly. But if he, I don't know, if he had a different feel when he caught it at that time, he literally could have caught it, took one dribble, and probably dunked it because the middle of the zone was wide open. But he just caught it, turned, and shot it. And that's how you usually attack a zone. I I, I think Spo did a fantastic job of mixing it up. And, yeah. and when, when you mix it up like that, the reality of it is not a lot of teams practice uh, how to attack the zone. And so you hope whatever your man offense is, you hope that when you run it, you're able to attack the zone that way. And, and so it get, it causes a little hesitation. The one thing that, that that Miami did in that zone, they were extremely physical and very aggressive and it wasn't tight. That meant they really stretched the zone. Yeah. Yeah. At times, they deny guys. I saw Duncan Robinson. Somebody was on the wing, and he's he's playing the bottom left side. He's all the way out on that wing, like hitting the guy and, you know, denying. And then the ball gets swung, and he's flying back to the paint. And so when you have that uh, kind of uh, connectivity with that group, and you're as physical as they are, plus you cover the amount of ground, that, the way they challenged shots in that series was off the charts. So if you're challenging shots that way, it just looks like you, you feel like you constantly have bodies in front of you and you don't know where to go and it speeds you up and gets you confused. And, and I, I really th- thought that's what it did to, to, to Boston.
0: Yeah. They, they, whenever Miami calls for the zone, uh, this is hardly uh, inside information. It's, they hold up the number two, that's their call from the bench for zone and they call it kind of late. Yeah. Um, like sometimes they're going to, they, you know, they have a plan coming out of the timeout when they maybe do it like the next second possession or whatever. but sometimes, you know, it's always off a of score. Sometimes they'll score and like, they'll be running back up and Spolster will scream, you know, two. And they, yeah. they, they know to quickly, quickly, how to, how to move into the position, but it, it is, they don't play it like six straight possessions in a row, correct? you know? Yeah. And sometimes like coming out of a timeout, they'll, they'll play, they'll put full court pressure on yeah, and then yeah. fall back into the zone. Yeah, it's different. Go ahead, Bontemps.
1: You mentioned before, Mike, about the will that the Heat have collectively, yeah. And, yeah. and we've seen we've seen Jimmy Butler in particular lift his game and lift his team up a couple times now uh, in the playoffs over the past few years. Certainly, safe to say he's shown to have a penchant for doing that. Have you? Does he remind you of anybody in the way he's been able to sort of go from obviously being a great player in the regular season, but to consistently? take him his game and his team up a level in the playoffs like this and sort of push them farther than people would expect.
3: Now I, people are going to kill me for saying this because they're going to think I'm comparing these two players, but, but Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I, I'm, not their, I'm not comparing their games. I'm comparing exactly what you spoke on at first. The, the the word will what, what Jimmy Butler has done during this playoff series. And like, I can feel through the screen and, in my opinion, that's Draymond Green for Golden State. The way that he wills that group to another level is, is, is off the charts. I, I remember they were playing, I think it was Memphis or Minnesota during the regular season, and they were down. They needed to win the game to continue. And they were down 20 or something like that the first half. <clears throat> and Steph, I think, had a great game, maybe played it too. But, but, but Draymond's ability to will that group and get that win was reminiscent of what he's done in the past in, in when I was with them in our finals runs. I, I, I meant he, he was the glue, the, the you know, he, he was the defense. He was the, uh, he was spectacular in ways that people don't even know. And it starts with that word right there. So in my opinion, those two guys are in a category uh, almost in my opinion, uh, uh, by themselves when it comes to that, because there are other great players that can make other players other players that are average become really good and stuff like that, and guys that can rally the troops. But when you talk about a player that can take a group of guys and get them over the hump, game after game after game after game after game, that is hard to do. And and you feel that with with, with Jimmy, and it makes everybody on that team probably tougher than what they are. You know,
0: sounds like a series you know, MVP to me, McMahon.
2: No, stop it. Caleb Martin should have won. Listen, Caleb Caleb Martin should have won Eastern Conference Finals MVP. We, he's we've just giving
1: me, a, he's giving me a hard time, listen, Mike, because I voted listen, for Jimmy. That's all. Yeah, That's uh, all it is.
2: We're, we're, we're not, not going to get into that one. I actually wanted to ask you, though, in a way about another award winner. They, they call it the Jerry West Award. We've been calling it the Cajones Factor Award here. So <laughs> if you're coaching – you're coaching that guy, and Fox, on a regular basis. And, you, you know, you mentioned Jimmy's will. Part of that is just this unwavering confidence. It's, it's not just game to game, but he can play terribly on the offensive end for 46 minutes. And then, boom, the guy's scoring 10 points in the last two minutes. You know, Miami didn't win that game, but it's just an example of what you see from him. Jamal Murray's that same way. You know, that, that game, out had the 23-point fourth quarter. He was three of 15 at one point, pretty deep into the, the third quarter. What do these guys have where when it is crunch time, you know, nut cutting time, whatever's happened up to that point is just totally irrelevant. And you and no matter what, you believe, hey, if they've got the ball in their hands, we've got a really good chance.
3: Yeah, it's the confidence level, obviously, is off the charts, but more than anything else, and people say this all the time, so this is not anything new, but they're going to have you're going to have a short term memory if if your memory is is short term uh, you will have a chance to be exactly what you said that guy because uh, there aren't many of them a guy misses three four shots that's impactful that's a psychological disadvantage that he's going to have down the stretch especially when it comes time to uh making a big play whether it's for himself or for, or for his teammates and we've seen a lot of great players in the regular season not step up come playoff time especially when the game's on the line because they don't have that short-term memory that you need to need to have in order to get over the hump so you take the confidence level obviously a lot of great ones have that that has to be high but the most important thing is you gotta have a short-term memory because you're gonna make mistakes and you gotta be okay with it knowing that you might make two mistakes but you're going to turn out 10 things that are positive for your team down the road. And so you can live with it. You know, your teammates going to live with it. Jimmy says it all the time in his interviews that he thanks his teammates. He thanks his coaching staff because they help him have that belief that he needs to have in order to be great. And he's shown it.
0: Speaking of late game execution. I didn't know this until Bon Temps reminded me of it. Today is the 16th anniversary games five in Detroit, Mike. <laughs> The forty-eight special, twenty-nine of the last thirty. I think Drew Good and made a free throw.
1: I think it was twenty-five <laughs> in a row, but not positive. Okay. I'll check uh, right now while we're talking.
0: And uh, God, I remember it was just it was hot that night in the palace. Oh. It was a hot night. It was a, it was warm in there. I think LeBron needed an IV after the game. What What do you remember about that night?
3: So, <laughs> I remember uh, <clears throat> Detroit. Detroit took a timeout and. Uh, and speaking of uh, young, great assistant, Mike, Mike Malone, I, you know, we, we go to the free throw line and, and, and we meet as a staff and the players go into the huddle and, you know, Mike, great coach, a lot of great ideas back then. He ran our defense, he ran our offense, he, you know, he's offense coordinator, defense coordinator at different times. Uh, and I leaned on him or relied on him heavily during my tenure there. And I'll never get, he, he was like, Hey, we got to tell you know them to do this or LeBron to do that or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We ain't telling them. <laughs> 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 we gonna let him keep doing what he's doing. So we're gonna stay right here until this timeout's almost over. And then I'm gonna go. And then I'm gonna go in that huddle. And I'm gonna listen to what he has to tell me. <laughs> 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 and so that's what we did. We stayed with the little coaching huddle. I walked <laughs> in the team huddle. I kind of looked at LeBron because he was talking, and I just was nodding my head. Everybody <laughs> put their hands in, and I said, one, two, three, team, let's go.
0: <laughs> we just made are hell out of yourself. this way. You're making fun of yourself. I, you know, it, it, people make, will say that I'm just saying this because you're here. You coached a hell of a game that night. If you go back, it's on it's on NBA TV. By the way, it's almost unwatchable now because oh, of yes. how bad the offense yeah. was. <laughs> um,
3: yes.
0: Honestly, I – <laughs> no that's what i'm saying okay. it was great defense here's the thing this is a bit of a controversial statement i've said it before i don't think it was one of the 10 best lebron playoff games he's ever played that it it was because he'd never done it before and you guys are such a big underdog and he was carrying yeah. it when you have going like you go watch it and then you go like watch clips from lebron in 2018 but you coached I, you a good game because the the nature i'm telling you if you watch it on. NBA TV when it comes on, and you watch it and you watch the moves that Mike made. I'm not just saying this; I swear. You coached a hell of a game. Pro- people probably, you know, you're I joking about it. what you did, but you know the substitutions you made and the, and the matchup changes you made. Like it was, it was an absolutely jaw dropping game. It, but it was an ugly game, man. <laughs> it was ugly.
3: <laughs> I agree. It was ugly. It was like, But well, hey, but we we were we were one of the first teams. To switch a lot, because if you think about it, that's kind of why I started Larry Hughes that year. Because when you have Larry, you got then you had uh, uh, Sasha, LeBron, Drew, and Z couldn't switch. But when we brought Andy in, it allowed us at times to switch one through five, you know, with with that group, and and so we did some of that against Detroit, just because you, know, you got uh, uh, Rasheed and you got Chauncey; those guys playing high pick and roll with Rasheed picking and popping. You can't show and get back to Rasheed at seven feet shooting the ball the way he does. You can't go underneath Chauncey with him shooting the ball. So we, we were forced to switch quite a bit, at, you know, in that series and in our length, especially starting at at, at, uh, at the point guard spot helped out.
0: When you would win seventy or maybe it was like 81, 80 or something, you had such a smile on your face. You are like, got him, got him. Uh, now that's now that's a halftime score. Before we let you go. We got to talk about your team. It's a spectacular year, man. I know it's a disappointing ending game seven, but man, what a great year in Sacramento. The fans are crazy. What's it like for you living in Sacramento right now?
3: Brian? It's, it's awesome. I tell you, and I'm not saying this, you know, just cause I live here, but uh, I had friends when I was down in the Bay, I had friends that actually lived here and worked in the Bay just because <clears throat> the cost of living is a lot better or whatever. And, they always raved about it, and I had only been up here really when we played games. But being able to be here full time uh, has been a lot of fun. Fantastic city. Um, the people are great. They know their basketball, but but more importantly, they're passionate about the basketball. And even when we started the season off in, in, in preseason, you know, I think we went undefeated in preseason. I mean, but just the excitement around here. <laughs> was, crazy and I'm like you know it's only the preseason but they didn't care and as the year went along it just it, it got to a level that was unrecognizable by me and this is not a knock to any of the fans that uh, 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 the cities that i worked in before but but this place is truly special uh, it, it, the arena how loud it gets the passion before the games after to get it's all real and so uh, extremely enjoyable from that standpoint. The facilities are off the charts. Uh, I enjoy my entire group. And, and, and the biggest thing is I, you know, I give a lot of credit to our players. They allowed me to coach them uh, from day one. I mean, this, this is a player's league. And uh, if you understand that and try to help put them in the best possible position so that they can uh, show their strengths, then you may have a chance
2: we you guys go ahead. You guys pulled off something that's really, really difficult to do. That's you you made Mark Spears look like a genius. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so listen, you you inherit this team, you take over this team, that passionate fan base that is starved for success. I mean, you know, Arco Arena, 60. I always would say that the playoff drive was old enough to have a driver's license. <laughs> yeah. When Spears goes on there. Goes on NBA Today in the summer and is ah playoff team, no doubt. What what are you thinking?
3: I felt this from the beginning. You you ask any of our players, You, you can ask our owner from day one. I, when I looked this at this roster from the outside looking it, I, I said, initially, I said, okay. You got Fox, you got Domas, we got HB. So to me, right there, that gave us a chance. And then you know we were able to get Leak and Kevin and, and, and draft Keegan, and so I'm like, okay, and there was some great pieces to this puzzle that I thought if we can get them connected especially right away then we would have a chance and so I spoke playoffs from day one and I will attribute part of this to uh uh, to 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 my thought process on this to Randy Bennett head coach at St. Mary's talked to a lot of people when I took the job he was the one the the one that stood out the most I asked him because he if You think about it, he took over St. Mary's. I don't know if there was a worse college program in the country than St. Mary's when he took over. So I talked a lot of, about that program and how he built it and all that stuff. And but one of the questions I asked him, I said, if you had one regret looking back in your process of trying to build that program into what it is today, what would that be? Without hesitation, he said that he would have worked on getting his group of players to believe. Sooner than what he did, because he go, he goes, you know what? I knew we were going to eventually be good because we'd recruit the right guys. They were going to work hard, change the culture. Boom, boom. He said, but I didn't pay attention to the belief aspect uh, as much as I should have. And and I, st- I was like, okay, well, can you explain further? He said they'd be in a lot of games because they had the culture was changed, playing hard. The players, he said, but there'd be three minutes to go in the game, mm-hmm. and they might be down one or up three. And they, the team would look up at the scoreboard and they would realize it's a one possession game. And they'd be like, Oh, well, I don't know if we're supposed to win. <laughs> and the other team would see, okay, St. Mary's. So, Hey, let's, let's turn it up. Let's turn it up now. And let's just run them out the gym. And he said they lost six or seven games that first year that they should have won. if He would have convinced them to truly believe that they were better than what they were. And so from day one, I was like, no, 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 this is not about making the playoffs. It's everything was when we are in the playoffs, mm-hmm. this is what we got to do, or this is what we can't do. From day one to the whole, throughout the whole year, that's how we spoke. Well, and to that point,
1: Mike, it was really impressive. We talked about this when the series is over on the podcast, but throughout that series, whenever you – I was laughing. Whenever you talked to Lisa or anybody during one of the quarter breaks – all you'd ever say was, We got to keep playing faster. We got to keep pushing the pace. We could, like, you really part of the belief was believing in the way you guys had played okay. all year. And you guys did that all the way through that series, and people didn't necessarily think you could play that fast in the playoffs, right? What did you, beyond that, what did you learn about your group going through that experience the first time playing, obviously, against a championship caliber team in Golden State? And, and what did that show you about where you guys have to grow to get? farther than that going forward, because as you very correctly said all throughout the season, your goal wasn't just to get to the playoffs even this year, it was to go farther than that, and you guys showed you're more than capable of doing that.
3: I, the biggest thing is is when, when I look back on that series is, I truly believe that we can be a more physical defensive team than what we showed during the regular season. And the physicality that we displayed in the playoffs, uh, was tenfold what we displayed during the regular season. And if we can have some carry over from that, with that from day one while maintaining or even getting slightly better offensively, we will be better prepared to make the run that we expect to run come next playoff, uh, or next year in the playoffs. Uh, our regular season defensively, we all know it wasn't great. Part of it, in my opinion, part of that, in my opinion, was our lack of physicality. And I was concerned about that uh, throughout the whole year. I was concerned about that going into the playoffs. Uh, But our guys showed that they have that ability to be as physical as you need to be, to be competitive on that end of the floor. It can't start this year. It can't start for for us come playoff time. It's got to start from day one right now. Whenever we're on the floor, we got to play with a sense of urgency or physicality that will carry us to where we need to go uh, come next, next playoff line.
0: Man's already working. Thank you for taking some time out with us, Mike. Hope you enjoy a couple of days off. And, hey, you got uh, draft and free agency and summer league to prepare for, so thank you so much. And good luck to you.
3: Thank you. Anytime, guys. I appreciate it. Had a lot of fun.
2: More Hoop Collective podcast after this.
0: Com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on Sports Networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, on Yeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Okay, but before we move on, it's time for trivia. Trivia is brought to you by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA 23, new users only, terms apply, cancel anytime. Bontemps, you're up.
2: And now, to present today's trivia question, the whiz of the quiz, Tim Bontemps.
1: So, we've got some timely trivia. The Denver Nuggets uh, make their first NBA Finals appearance tonight in Game 1 against Miami. They were one of six teams that had never made the Finals before this year. Who are the other five?
2: Grizzlies. That's one. Kings. That is incorrect.
1: What? Kings have won championships. What, Kings have won championships. Bro? I
2: mean, come on. That is a, a massive technicality. A whole... No,
1: it's not. The, the franchise has made the finals. Uh, sh- Hornets. Hornets are correct. That's two.
2: Two wow. That's three. Woo. He's on fire. There's two more. All right. Two more. Wait. Okay. You said one of six. Uh, the Nets have not. No, yes, they have. Sorry, Jason Kidd. I should know that. Uh, the, <laughs> the Hawks Clippers. have not made the NBA finals. The Clippers have made it. That's four. No, oh, the Hawks have back in the Bob Pettit days. By the way, I thought Tatum was going to pass Pettit on an all-time leading score, playoff leading scoring list, and I was going to get excited about that. Um Bob Pettit played for the Hawks. That's right.
1: Yeah, Bob know, Pettit did play for
2: the Hawks. Again, I should have known these things. Uh the other one is the New Orleans Pelicans. We already said them. Who said them? No,
0: Brian the did. Hornets and the Pelicans are two different two different things. Well, yeah, not anymore.
2: Ozo. Well, they're not what do
0: you mean not anymore they
1: have different histories they're
2: two there's they're
0: little uh, the charlotte hornets
1: the charlotte hornets are a new team fellas yeah they're, i agree they're, that's, they're that's an expansion team. And now i'm saying pelicans yeah there's still one other team you haven't said yet
0: wait a minute the, the hornets and nor the pelicans have made it correct Separate. correct and there's still one more
2: yes no there's you said hornets pelicans grizzlies Flippers. Clippers.
1: there's a fifth team grizzlies there's a fifth team mm-hmm. Math, we're going to five. We're gonna need.
0: A, we're going to need a forensic review on just what happened here because I was in the same place, as McMahon. Yeah, just, there's
1: we, one other team that has not made the finals that you haven't said: Clippers, Grizzlies. He said the Timberwolves.
0: Okay,
1: you were too busy yelling. The Timberwolves are the fifth no, he, team. he he said go. it. The, oh my like God. A long time okay. ago.
0: Hey, 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 Bon Temps, you're not going to want to listen back to that. So I'll just say, great. Well, question. Those are
2: those are the five teams for the listeners okay. at home. Great right. question. Terrible execution.
0: Did he say that? The, all right, never mind. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, before we go, I did want to talk about Mike Brown's former team, the Golden State Warriors, who saw Bob Meyer step aside. I don't know if I want to use the word awkward press conference. First off, Bontemps brought this up to me earlier today. It's not often that you see an exit press conference for a leaving executive. Mm-hmm. that's unusual um but it was like so he did part of the press conference sort of announcing his decision and his feelings and then joe Lacob came up there and was full on joe Lacob. <laughs> he was like we're still gonna win <laughs> we don't care what they what rules they put down whatever everything like that we're still gonna win uh i i actually loved it i i love joe Lacob being joe Lacob. Um joe was
1: always entertaining
0: and uh i also i loved um When he was like, "Yeah, we're um, we're gonna work Bob through the end of June. His contract is through June thirtieth, and we're gonna work through (laughs) the end of June." And like, I have no idea what they discussed about, but it, I just to be clear, I don't know, okay. But it looked to me like that was the first time Bob had heard that. He just sort of was like, (laughs) looked over, and he goes, "Somebody tell my wife."
2: (laughs) I'm sure he'll be working real hard as a consultant. (laughs) uh,
0: That was uh, I don't even know what to make of that. It's not off, you know. The Warriors are such a put together organization. Okay, sometimes they have little skirmishes like one guy punching another guy, but you know, they, they handle their business pretty well. And that was a little bit unusual and just an indication of how this has got them off balance a little bit Bontemps.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, it's not, like I said, it's, I mean, it made me think of obviously it was a vastly different circumstances, but when Avery Johnson got fired by the nets way back in the day, I remember he did a, he came back and did a press conference at their gym, uh, their practice gym and announced he got like a, like a, I got fired. I came back to talk about a thing, which has always stuck with me as being very strange. These circumstances are obviously far different than those were. There was an iconic
0: quote that happened the day that Avery got fired. He, you know, he was he was coach of the month of November, and he got fired in December. Does that sound right?
1: He got fired on December twenty seventh.
0: Okay, so Prokhorov holds a press conference the day he fires Avery. They had a game was, that
1: night. It was a few days later, actually, because he'd actually he gotten back from. His thing, but it, it, the it quote about? still fits. The, no, the quote, I'm just giving it for All context. Right. I'm sure
0: you're right. You were covering that at the time. And somebody asked sort of a innocuous question to Prokhorov. When did you f- decide you were going to fire Avery? And he was like, oh, last week. Okay. Why did you wait till this week to uh, fire Avery? And he goes, well, I was, I'm not going to try to do his accent. He goes, well, I was in British Columbia. I can't remember he said British Columbia or Alberta. And he's like, the snow was up here. like and He, like, <laughs> made it he was in pitch. Whistler.
1: Whistler, British Columbia.
0: (laughs) He's like, he made an indication like the snow was up to his chest. He's basically like, yeah, I I wanted to ski for a few more days. So I decided, you know, (laughs) I decided to to fire him, but I wanted to ski. So, and I appreciated the answer because it was honest. I always appreciated Prokroft press conferences.
1: He was always entertaining, but yeah, I mean, look, it's, this obviously has been a long time coming in some respects, right? I mean, you go all the way back Mm -hmm. to December when Adrian first reported that Bob was in the final year of his deal and there wasn't really, you know, at that point, a lot of traction on contract talks. And you no, know, look, I think if you want to look at this pretty realistically, this is going to be a very difficult and not so fun job going forward. I mean, it's never, it's never fun to preside over the decline of a dynastic team. You, you know, obviously the the most famous example. You didn't of that hear is Joe
0: Lacob say they're going to keep winning. Well, I don't know what you're talking I, I about. Un,
1: I understand. Timelines is back, baby. Well, you go back, to, obviously, the most famous example of this is you go back 25 years to when the last Dance Bulls split up. But, you know, you go back to when the Celtics in the early 90s were kind of on the downside with Bird, Parish, and McHale. Go back to the Spurs with Duncan and Manu and those guys, and they eventually all retired, and they tailed off. Like, no matter how great a run ah, you The have, Spurs
2: tailed off when Kawhi decided he'd had enough of San Antonio. But the other example well, is we'll just with.
1: I, I know, but I'm just saying, at some point, the different there's different circumstances across the board, mm-hmm. right? But at some point, no matter how great a run you have, you're going to hit a downside. And the Warriors are approaching, especially with the new rules, even though Joe Lacob, as you said, said, who cares about the CBA, we're going to win anyway. You've got Klay Thompson entering his mid-30s, Draymond Green entering his mid-30s, Steph Curry in his mid-30s. There's a shelf life for all those guys separate from what happens with Draymond's contract this summer, what happens with Klay's contract next summer, what what do they try to do with Jordan Poole this summer? You know, they're out a couple pick, you know, they're out at least one pick going forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just a very difficult, challenging job. And if you're Bob Myers, a guy who could literally do anything and you've had an incredible 12 year run with the franchise, and you've dealt with all sorts of drama on a thousand different levels, and you have a chance to take a step back and take a breather and see what you want to do next, whether it's in basketball or not. It's hard to argue with him walking away at this point because, you know, he's got a pretty much universal Q rating in the league and he's got the ability to do, I think, basically whatever he wants going forward.
2: Yeah, and I, I've seen and heard people basically jump into the conclusion Bob Myers is out because he doesn't want to be the one to have to tear it down. And essentially, this means the teardown is coming. We'll see. I, I, I think it's too early to jump to that conclusion, though. Um, especially the way that Joe Lacob's talking. But, you know, this summer, you, you, like you said, it's it's not just, hey, Clay's going to last year of his contract. It's Clay wants to get paid again. It's not just Draymond's got a player option. They made it clear they do want him back uh, at the end of the season. But Draymond's going to want an extension. And then, clearly, there's some buyer's remorse on Jordan Poole's contract. Um, is there, you know, can you find a taker for that? Are you willing to just – Try to salary dump it. Do you need some kind of some? You know, I mean, there it's it's a difficult job for sure. Um, I don't necessarily know that it. I I think it's too early to say that uh, they're going to blow this thing up. And and uh, honestly, I'd be surprised just because Steph is still good enough to be the best player in the championship team. And so, to be clear, I
1: wasn't saying I think they're going to blow it up either. It's just there's a mm-hmm. lot of, there's a lot, it's a challenging job ahead, irregardless of right. whether you do decide to blow it up or not, because there's well, a lot of difficult decisions ahead for that team.
0: Here's what it seems like, and this isn't finalized yet, but there's an understanding, I believe, that the new rules will go into effect, not for next season, but. The phase in starts.
1: A lot A lot of them go into effect in the 24, 25 season. A couple of them notably go into effect this coming off season, including not being able to use the tax MLE if you're a certain level over the cap. So, for example, Golden State cannot add another Dante DiVincenzo this summer. They're not going to have the ability to do that, which I don't think is a pretty afford significant. It. Well, even if they can't, even if they decide they can't afford it, they can't. And he was a pretty significant piece for them last year.
0: Right. But I think the point is, is that the Warriors can probably squeeze one <clears throat> more year out <clears throat> at enormous cost. But before the new rules come in that really make everything onerous, the second apron is not going to come in until 24, 25. So if Joe Lakip is willing to go over $400 million which is what it would cost with Jordan Poole's contract coming on and re signing Draymond, whatever that number they had come to, it's going to be somewhere in the 400 millions. If he was willing to do that, I do think they can hold it together for one more year. 24-25, mm-hmm. it's very hard for me to see that any team is going to want to be in the in the second apron at that time. And that it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Clippers. The Clippers is a team that nobody talks about. The Clippers Uh, Kawhi and paul george are going the last years of their contracts i don't know what's going to happen there i don't have reporting on what they're going to do um but i think you know this is targeting the clippers and warriors and um Mm -hmm. so I, i definitely possible somebody would go into the second apron it'll obviously happen eventually but i think the warriors have one more year where they can try to go for it and so However, it's Steve Kerr's last year of his contract, and it's Clay's last year of yeah. his contract. And so, knowing that you're not going to know what that world's going to be like, are you roll? Are you are you going to roll with that without you know extending them? I don't know.
2: And 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 if you do, you know how how are Clay and Draymond going to handle that? You know, is that I? It's not just a business decision. There's obviously a, a human element there. Um, to Proud guys who have helped deliver four championships to that franchise. Uh, Draymond certainly isn't one who's known to bite his tongue. Really? We'll see.
0: Yeah, we will see.
2: More Hoop Collective Podcast after this.
0: If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is, all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start with thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can. Even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or bike plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Baseball is back. Get your ballpark on with tickets from Vivid Seats. Or enjoy hockey and baseball in all their glory with courtside seats. Whoever you're rooting for, there's nothing like the thrill of seeing your favorite team live. Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code hoop. That's code hoop. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid seats. Life happens live. One more transaction in the NBA front office market. The Knicks did not, I don't shouldn't say they didn't. Scott Perry is leaving the Knicks. His contract mm-hmm. is up. He was a holdover from the previous regime. He was a general manager. Um, when Leon Rose was hired when he was there under Steve Mills, and he remained in the job, got at least one contract extension, maybe even two We've got one contract extension for sure. bit of a odd situation where he is sort of the number two, I think would you call him number two Bontemps?
1: I mean, there's a there's a collection of people in there with Leon Rose I mean, you've got you've got yeah. well, you've got william you got worldwide West William Wesley, you've got Gerson Roses, you've got. Kristen uh, Moses got, is like
0: a consultant,
1: but he's around uh, all the time. He was doing yeah. a lot of a
2: yeah. lot of yapping on the phone to other teams.
1: Yeah, you've <laughs> got true. Scott Perry. Uh, Scott Perry's obviously a long time exec who's been around a long time. He's there. You've got guys like Jamie Matthews now in Houston who've been there forever. Then you've obviously mm. got Tom Thibodeau on the bench. He's certainly not a wallflower either. I mean, there's a lot of mm. a lot of voices. Uh, no one has ever described Tom
0: Thibodeau as a wallflower.
1: He definitely isn't that. <clears throat>
0: So anyway, but I do think it's interesting to see how the Knicks approach this offseason. They have some business they have to handle with their own team, primarily contract extension for Emmanuel quickly. And also they got to sign Josh Hart. They can't let Josh Hart, Josh Hart walk. Um, They got to get that done. Um, And then, you know, they're obviously a candidate for any star player who comes available. They're obviously Mm -hmm. a candidate to trade for them. They have the expiring contract of Evan Fournier. And they can use that in any type of deal to help uh, get the money right. Um, I don't think that they'll be, uh, I think that's what they intend to do is hold them, you know, for the, for usage for something like that. So um, I think the thing about the Knicks, they were rewarded for their patience on not trading for Donovan Mitchell. They did not um, give the, 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 um, the premium price. And they took a lot of heat for it and they still take a heat for it in some corners, Ended up on the right side of it because Jalen Brunson was great. Josh Hart was great. Randall had a bounce back season. All those guys have huge value. They still have all their picks. They can still do things with it. Um, I think they felt good about exercising patience, and I think they're hoping to keep the patience there. And what I mean by that is if a guy comes across the boards who they can trade for, they're looking for a guy that can get them from fifth place to 1st not necessarily they're, from fifth place to fourth. Fifth place to they They're third. not. They're not
2: hoping for patience. They're hoping for the process. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's coming. But listen, I mean, that's they've looked at that situation in Philly, and there's been a hope in New York that, that that stuff in Philly will go haywire to the point where Embiid would ask out. I don't know the percentage odds on that. I would say they are uh, slim. But that's been the hope. Now, is there going to be another star who becomes available who's worth pushing all those picks, you know, in, in the middle of the table? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who else it would be. Um, you know, let people me just link-
0: not that they would trade for him. but Let me just let me just throw a name out there. Like, let's mm-hmm. say Toronto decides to rebuild and. Their play. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to be aggregated. So, like, let's just say right one hypothetical of the players. Hypothetically, there's a Toronto player that may become available. If you're the Knicks, you probably would have a good chance to trade for one of those Toronto players. Or
2: you can aggregate think- me and say the hypothetical here is Pascal Siakam. Now, the question is, how many picks are you willing to throw in on that? Like honestly, if there's a guy like Embiid, I think I don't think they would stop until they said, a, a team said, that's all your picks and we're still not doing it. Siakam, how, how many picks are you willing to give up? And which picks? Well, my it's, point it's not is just how
0: many, it's which. Would they, would they do one deal and take themselves out of doing the other? Yeah. That's, think- that's my point.
1: Yeah, I think the the way the Donovan Mitchell thing went, I think is instructive and that they looked at it and said, We're not selling the farm for Donovan Mitchell. We will sell, we will, we will get him for a price we feel is worth doing, and we're not going beyond that. I, as you said before, I said ever since they made the trade, I thought it was the right decision. I think if you look Mm -hmm. at how this year played out, it was the right decision. Now the question is, can they continue to be that diligent in their process going forward? Because the Knicks have not been known as a patient team over time. Right. And Go back to 2011, you know, Carmelo Anthony recently retired. And one of the huge pivot points for this franchise over the past 20 years was Carmelo was going to be a free agent in a few months. He clearly wanted to go to the Knicks. And they, that whole situation, had mm-hmm. played out where Carmelo came in the summer, could have really gone in a different direction. But instead, there was a rush to trade for him, a, tr- a rush to make sure he didn't get traded to the Nets, especially. And they wound up trading every single thing they ever had. And while Carmelo had a terrific career with the Knicks, they mm-hmm. never sniffed winning anything because the team never had a chance to really be good enough to contend in the East after that deal. And that that's where the Knicks right now, they got a really nice team. They've got more assets than just about any team in the league.
2: Mm-hmm. Can
1: they stay to their process and wait for, like you said, or whoever the real difference making player is somebody to come along? Cause we can sit here right now and say, we're not sure who might be available or what guy will be upset. But if the history of the NBA has shown anything, it's that guys be become available and guys get upset. That's right. There'll be somebody. Yeah. And, and, you and wait like for somebody, Oka- they'll be in good shape.
2: Oklahoma City has more assets. Utah has more assets. The Knicks have the advantage of guys that would want to play in New York with a playoff team, you know, with the understanding that if you're traded to the Knicks, Jalen Brunson will not be included right. in the deal. So you're going I'm talking to have- about,
1: I'm talking about places where guys would be traded, where. Right. So interested.
2: you're going to have a, a a bona fide co-star uh, already in place and a guy who's proven that he can adapt his game. I will say one thing with with the Donovan Mitchell thing last year was it wasn't just about the talent. They'd already done they'd already made a really really good bet on Brunson, and I think there was I know there was there was concern within the Knicks of hey even though we love both of these guys individually putting these two small guards together does that put a below championship ceiling on the team um and and you know that's maybe why they weren't willing to push more picks into that
1: well and look Donovan Mitchell's also to that point had never made one all NBA team right like he's a really good player mm-hmm. but if it was Luka Doncic who was available like they probably would have gone all in to get him you know like That's, that's the difference. Like, is there going to be a guy like that that comes available? I don't know. You know, some elite, super elite, uh, unquestionable superstar, but Donovan Mitchell is a great player. He wasn't that. And I didn't think it made sense for all for that reason and others for them to go all in for him then. And I think if they go for a similar guy, they're going to trap themselves in a similar place instead of trying to really swing for the fences.
2: Yeah. And so like Damian Lillard, I think there would be very similar concerns in addition to obviously the age.
0: Well, I you know when I hear people talking about Dame, it's still a gigantic if.
2: Yeah, for sure. Also Um, talking about a gigantic amount of money for a guy entering his mid thirties too.
0: Dame, I don't see Dame playing next to Jalen Brunson.
2: No, that's what I'm saying. I I I don't think. I'm just throwing out a name who I saw. I was watching TV this morning. They were speculating on uh, trade possibilities. Don't Uh, watch TV. A handsome, a handsome fellow with really well uh, gelled hair. A quaff, if you will. (laughs) <laughs> I never. I actually I, didn't I, have I, enough
0: in I today. I know Wait. how to
2: spell that, but I don't. I would not quite sure. I, I, I probably would have gone like co-if and I don't know. You know I try not to use words I can't pronounce. Um, I'm just limited but, vocabulary. But Dame is Dame is being. There's a lot of. It is speculation at this point. To be clear, on the possibility of him being on the trade block at some point this summer, but I'm just saying I don't think that's. Despite the fact that he's a Hall of Famer and still can light it up, I don't think that would be a good fit for the Knicks. And I I will say this
0: Dame hasn't said what he would do because Dame came out at the end of the season and said, I basically don't want to play with the guy who's going to take two or three years to develop. Then the Blazers get the number three seed, number three pick. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe Dame's changed his mind. Like until I hear him double down and, you know, make it clear that he wants that pick traded, I'm not going to assume. I'm not gonna although he was
2: he yeah, you give him he has the freedom to change his stance or whatever, but he was pretty damn clear oh, no. at the no. end of the season. And like I know Jason Quick when he wrote something about the uh the Blazers situation after the lottery, a guy who's covered the Blazers for years, he did reach out to Dame, who you know he opted not to comment didn't 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 uh, text him back, which, you know, that's well within his rights. But if he if he wanted to make it clear that, uh, hey, number three pick, listen, we can I think we can work with this. There's plenty of avenues for him to get that uh, stance out there. And he has chosen not to so far.
0: That's true. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Hoop collective podcast. We'll be back to you uh, on Sunday uh, on this feed. We're doing some crossover pods after the game's with um our buddy zach Lowe, um as we have for the last number of years in the finals but uh as far as your hoop collective fans we'll be back with these two gents and jackson um on sunday when uh game two will be played who knows could be heat one nothing it'll be their seventh consecutive time but they're one nothing so or the nuggets will blow them out we'll see thanks for listening have a good weekend we'll talk to you soon
2: adios amigos